This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This is DSC's Untamed Heritage. DSC's Untamed Heritage is brought to you by Dallas Safari Club. Conservation, education, protecting hunters' rights. Ruger. Rugged, reliable firearms. Hardity. Accurate, deadly, dependable. Trigicon. Brilliant aiming solutions. Burnham Brothers Calls. Calling us calls made. Texas Wildlife Association. Working for tomorrow's wildlife today. Texas Raised Hunting Products. The Scent Gods. www.trailingthehuntersmoon.com. The Hunter Conservation Website. One of my favorite places to do podcasts is sitting in a huge oak tree that's probably about five, six hundred years old, an old live oak tree that from the time I was a little kid, it would have taken probably about five or six of us to to reach around the trunk. It's out on my little place that's been in our family. They took title to it in 1876, and we've ranched it more than anything else. Did a little farming many, many years ago, but basically we've been in the in the cattle business on this property since time that uh, my great 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 granddad I guess it is uh, kind of moved over this way and he ranched some of this country prior to the time that we actually took title of it and it's just a very special special place to me and this old tree that I'm sitting under today has, has been around for uh, many many generations no telling what it's seen over the years but I know it's seen the coming and going of a lot of different whitetail seasons because I used to hunt, sit down kind of at the base of that big old tree and and uh, kind of hope and pray that whitetail deer would come by. This back during the days when we had whitetail deer and we hunted them, but you know what? There weren't very many whitetails in this part of the state of Texas. Most of them had been pretty much taken out by all kinds of different things, changes in habitat, but also in terms of uh, a lot of people depended upon white-tailed deer to, to provide food for them throughout the year, and numbers kind of got pushed down a little bit as a result of that, but 
we have whitetailed deer today and one of the things I greatly look forward to every year now that I live a little closer to where I grew up is the uh, opportunity to come out to my place and do a little bit of wildlife management and set up uh, a few little things, plant a few seeds here and there and and over the, the course of the, of the year do a, a fair amount of habitat management. Uh, everything from building little old pyramid looking, TP looking brush piles for rabbits and birds to hide in underneath and then too because we have a lots of uh, different types of vegetation here that produce browse that also produces seeds and berries that uh, they get eaten by those birds. The birds roost on those little teepees of, of dead brush, if you will, and, and uh, deposit seeds to the ground below. As a result, we're starting to see a great amount of different browse species, more birds, and usually when I'm out here, there's a red-tailed hawk this time of the year that's flying above, and he's fussing at me because of the fact that they've got a nest very close by, and occasionally hear some of the cattle that we've got out here so if you hear some noises that don't quite sound like it's in the studio it's because i am in a totally different studio out here on my property whenever i get the opportunity to one of the things that we're doing out on this place is we're setting up a, a very good rifle range I, i've over the years spent a lot of time on the ftw ranch and shooting a lot out there with with tim fallon's outfit with the where they do the sportsman all-weather all-terrain marksmanship training finest training there is in the world I'll tell you right up front if you want to learn more about it you can go to ftwsaam that's ftwsaam.com and and you can learn a lot more about it it's where a lot of people go to train and and those who have hunted us for many years go there and those of us who are just getting started in hunting go there and Two, it's one of the places that our military does a fair amount of training, our elite military. It's a unique place, and I love it dearly. But since I no longer live within an hour of Mr. Fallon's property, I decided the best thing to do is to build a rifle range out at my place where I can shoot easily out to 400 yards in, in one direction. And then if I can set up a target, which I have not yet done, that I can actually stretch it out to 1,000 yards in a different direction. And over the next several months, that's one of the projects that I'm involved in every time I get the opportunity to do so. Thankfully, I've got two son-in-laws and two daughters that also like to shoot, and grandsons and a granddaughter that likes to shoot. So uh, it's going to be quite a place once we get it set up. And, and maybe somewhere down the way in some of the magazine articles or some of the blogs, I'll be able to do a little bit as far as some photography as well, too, or maybe in conjunction with our podcast. It's July. Uh, July is the beginning as far as I'm concerned, essentially of, of getting ready for hunting season. Not that I don't get ready throughout the year, but specifically in July. We're at the point now that uh, we're starting to see fawns, so we're getting an idea of what kind of fawn survival rate that we've had amongst the, the deer herds on the different properties that I look at and hunt, and particularly here on my own place. And By now, too, the, the buck's antlers are far enough along to where they're interesting once again. To me, one of the most boring times is that time right after the bucks shed their antlers and until I get an opportunity to start looking for the shed antlers, which too tells me a lot but uh you know getting ready for hunting season there's so many things you got to do and and i like to shoot different guns i've been shooting ruger number ones and some of the ruger rifles and ruger handguns now for the last oh i'd say 10 or 12 years almost exclusively and not to say i don't like some of the other guns as well too because 
you know, there are some things like double rifles that Ruger hadn't made in the past. And uh, I've got a few rifles from years ago from when I was not exclusively shooting Rugers that I bring out every once in a while and just kind of look at and play with and maybe get somebody else to shoot while they're here as well, too. This year, I am planning on hunting with a variety of, of, of different guns. Uh, of course, Ruger number ones will play very heavily into that. Some of the Ruger 77s, maybe the Ruger Americans, and who knows what else might come along between now and then. Always, always interested in hunting with handguns, and, and my preference in those are the single-action revolvers. I do have some double-action revolvers, and as we've talked about maybe a little bit in the past, the difference between a single-action and a double-action is that with a single-action, you have to cock the hammer before you can pull the trigger. With a double-action, you can pull the trigger, and the hammer comes back, and uh, strikes a firing pin or you can cock it and shoot it like you would a single action uh, gonna be doing a fair amount of that this year and looking at some things that the old dear friend of mine Luke Clayton who I do a radio show with every Saturday morning over a, a bunch of different stations in the in the south uh, the show is called Luke Clayton Outdoors with uh, and you can actually watch it or hear it you can watch it I mean you can hear it on uh, a website called uh, catfishradio.com I'm sorry, catfishradio.org, C-A-T-F-I-S-H-R-A-D-I-O dot O-R-G. And uh, Luke and I are on there. Oh, like I said, we've got a Saturday morning show that we're on all the time. And then just in the last oh, last month or two, Luke and I started doing a show called uh, The Hunting Wire Radio, or Hunting Wire Radio, if you will, that's involved with uh, the outdoor wire. Uh, great site and if you're not on it already you really need to be there's great information on a daily basis there the radio show that we're doing right now comes on on a starts out on Thursday I think it is and uh, right now we're doing two episodes per month but uh, probably in time we'll increase that to uh, a few more shows each month and then hopefully after a long time we'll be on almost on a regular basis as far as a daily basis is concerned but one of the things I wanted to talk about today, not just those things, but uh, those things to me are, are important and, and we're learning all the time. I, before I get into some of the things I really want to visit with y'all about today is I, I serve on the board for the DSC, which is the Dallas Safari Club Foundation. It's a foundation that was formed only four years ago, and as a result of it from... Uh, Oh, the money's garnered from DSC and some other sources. We have been able to provide grants in the almost $5 million worth of grants in the last four years. And that's quite a bit of money when you think about it. The grants have gone to wildlife-oriented projects, uh, be it hunter-oriented, be it management-oriented, uh, throughout the world. Uh, there's a fair amount of money that's gone to Africa. There's a substantial amount of money that's gone to the U.S. in terms of dealing with, with mule deer, in terms of dealing uh, with desert bighorn sheep, and a whole lots of other projects. And if you want to learn a little bit more about the DSC Foundation, you can go to, to the D DSC website, among other things, which is biggame.org, B-I-G-G-A-M-E dot O-R-G, or you can go directly to the DSC Foundation or if you will, DSC Foundation website, which is dfcf.org. And one of the reasons I mention that is because we're working very closely right now with a lot of different people through 
the foundation and through DSC regarding some of the things that are going on in Africa right now. You know, when there are no hunters on the ground in Africa, poaching runs rampant. And it, it's a very sad thing in, in a lot of different ways, but uh, so many of the, the hunt operators there have their own anti-poaching campaigns. And right now, without the dollars coming in from hunters, because basically there has been no hunting on a commercial basis outside of a few locals in a lot of the African countries that uh, has been bringing any kind of money in to, to help protect uh, uh, the, the various things that are going on there as far as poaching is concerned. And, and poaching is a problem. It is without a doubt one of the, the biggest problems that we face in Africa right now. And so if, if you're so inclined, if you would like to, there's an opportunity to help that anti-poaching campaign by uh, providing donations to the DSCF for the Hunter's Care, which is the basically stands for COVID Anti-Poaching Relief Effort. It's a 501c uh, organization, so nonprofit. So literally anything that you provide in terms of dollars to the DSCF, which will go to, in this instance, to the uh, the Hunter Care Program, uh, those are tax deductible. And the beauty of it is you can actually tell the foundation where you want your money to go, whether you want it to go to a particular country, whether you want it to go to a particular operation or just into a general fund. And the beauty of all this is, too, is there is there no money pulled out. Every cent that comes in through Hunter's Care, and essentially, too, the same thing with DSCF, is, is put right back out again. There's no administrative costs that we pull off of. It's just a simple pass-through. We uh, make arrangements to get the money shipped over to Africa and whatever expenses there are in making that financial transfer uh, are absorbed by the by the DFC Foundation. So uh, it's, it's, it's a great opportunity to, to really help in something that we truly need help on. And it, too, I'll tell you, moving forward, we're going to be doing a lot more things through the DSCF Foundation. There'll be some opportunities to, uh, through our chapters in the future to, to bid on some hunts that may not be available anywhere else, to be very frank with you, and maybe even some hunter equipment and those kind of things as well, too. And vision with the, with the gun company about doing a specific uh, firearm with uh, all kinds of really nice embellishments, meaning absolutely beautiful wood and possibly some engraving as well. And, and those guns may be available through in the future through the DSC Foundation, through chapters. Now, we've got chapters with DSC set up all across the nation. You, you've heard me talk with uh, Carson Keyes about this a little bit in the past. Carson's a coordinator between DSC and the various chapters across the country and helping to establish and maintain those chapters. And, and with me coming on board with the uh, DSCF, with the foundation, one of my jobs has just recently been created to where I'm kind of the liaison between the DSC chapters and the foundation. And we'll be working a little bit closer with the chapters and helping them come up with some special hunts maybe that can be auctioned off to benefit DSCF in their annual fundraisers or their monthly fundraisers. So a lot of good things going on there. And if you please, by all means, learn more about DSC and DSCF. We keep bringing that up, but 
uh, that's such a great organization and, and one that you can be so very proud to be a part of. And as you've heard in some of the more recent uh, uh, podcast, there's a new level of membership as well, too, to where you can go onto the DSC uh, or the biggame.org, rather, uh, website and sign up as, as a member. And it's at a much reduced cost, but with lots of different benefits there, including the uh, DSC's uh, Game Trails magazine, which is second to none when you get right down to it with, with the information, the photography, and all the other good things that you can find there. But you know, we've, I've talked a little bit about all those kind of things, but one of the things I really wanted to visit with y'all about today is uh, getting ready for hunting season. I know there are a lot of things that are going on right now, and, and we're kind of trying to monitor what's going to happen, what states are going to require possibly a vaccination against uh, the coronavirus, uh, some of those states that are still closed that may open only in certain areas. There's a lot of things that are going on, and really through the, the DSC, you can and find out kind of some of the latest things there as well too it's a good website to go to and, and learn more but uh you know with those being beside the point it looks like we're kind of coming out of the, the COVID-19 thing just a little bit people are becoming more conscious health conscious but uh, I think we're going to send more and more places open up for outdoor recreation and that's absolutely perfect as far as I'm concerned we've, we've seen a tremendous increase in in people buying guns including people who had never bought guns before and I know if they're if they're of the kind that appreciate uh, deadly accurate and dependable that they're going after the the hornady and ammo and i got a feeling there are a lot of folks doing that right now as well too but got a lot of people buying guns and if there, there's so many different things that you can be doing right now to be kind of getting ready uh, of course getting in shape is one of them don't you know I, I this year i don't really have a whole lot of mountain hunts planned i've got some mule deer hunts but and some uh, later on some uh, looking at doing a uh, Coos whitetail hunt down in Mexico, one of the species I dearly love hunting. But right now, too, we're, we're kind of getting ready for it's not that far away. August 15th, you'll have the first whitetail season in the lowlands of South Carolina. And I mean, you're, we're talking about, you know, at the most four, five, six weeks, even uh, regardless of when, when you hear this. So uh, maybe even less time frame than that. So right now is a great time to get out. Uh, get out and do some walking and, and get in shape a little bit. But the other side of that is, is you've you need to be thinking about what you're going to be shooting this fall in terms of, of firearms, in terms of, of uh, or for that matter, bows, crossbows, muzzleloaders, pistols, even some of the new air rifles. There are some, there are some air guns out there that are very capable of bringing down big game. And one of these upcoming issues or one of the episodes I'd like to bring Luke Clayton on and, and have Luke tell us a little bit more about the, the hand, that part of it, the, the, uh, the uh, uh, air gun type things because I mean he's been using those for a while so but it really makes no difference what you're shooting in my instance you know I'm looking at I love Ruger number one rifles I love the single shots I love bolt actions uh, I appreciate anybody that hunts regardless of what they hunt with as long as they're out there hunting but my personal preference is I love the single shots I love the the handguns that I shoot and to the extent of really nice bolt action rifles and 
With that said, I recently picked up two different rifles that I've been wanting for a while. One is a second one of the same caliber in the 275 Rigby. It just happens to be a Ruger number one, and which is a single shot, as most of y'all know. And it it is a uh, this particular one that I recently bought through um, Classic Arms with Lee Newton is absolutely a gorgeous uh, Clara Walnut stock. I love. I love blued steel and I love wood, and but I appreciate too the the plastic stocks, if you will, the laminated stocks. I teasingly tell our guys when we're looking at laminates that generally I'm talking. So, what, what, tell me about that 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 plywood stock that you got right there. So, uh, in, a, in a way, I guess it is kind of a, a fancy plywood, but uh, that being beside the point, I dearly love blued guns. I love really pretty wood there's just something about those guns that, that to me are very classy very classic and yes i own a bunch of different guns that that are not uh let's say uh let, let's say they're they're synthetic in a lot of different ways and they some of them even shoot a, a, a fair amount of, very quickly as opposed to the to the uh the single shot ruger that i shoot the the 275 rigby i've visited with y'all a little bit about in the past is is essentially a seven millimeter mauser it is a seven by 57 mauser that was developed oh gosh back in the late 1800s it was really one of the first uh first rounds that was developed for uh smokeless powder and and has been used as a basis for a lot of different types of calibers that are out there are rounds in different calibers if you will uh, Teddy Roosevelt and his Rough Riders learned the value of the 7x57 when they charged up uh, San Juan Hill and found out that that was one heck of a round and, and uh, they kind of brought it back those that they could and they started shooting them here in the states using them for hunting and a bunch of other things and along the way too there was a guy that, well let's back up a little bit the reason it's called a 275 Rigby also is because Way back when, the Germans didn't like the Great Britons, and the Britons, British didn't like the Germans, and but they real the British really liked that seven by fifty-seven or seven millimeter Mauser, but because it had a connotation of being a German firearm, they decided that they needed to rename it, so they renamed it the two seventy-five Rigby. Uh, that is a, a, a tremendous caliber and a ter- tremendous round in a lot of different ways, as, as I've already mentioned. I've used it in years in the past a lot. Uh, many years ago, uh, Karamojo Bell, who hunted in Uganda and, and a bunch of other places in that part of Africa, for was a uh, was a, a uh, ivory hunter, if you will, shot hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of. of elephants and so many of those he used the uh, 275 Rigby on uh, with a uh, kind of a solid uh, point bullet and I think it was like 175 grain or something like that and he just absolutely loved it to uh, Jim Corbett and when he was hunting the man killer leopards and and uh, also the uh, uh, tigers in, 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 in India that was one of his favorite rounds as well too and so it's, it's been around for a long time. It's got a great history, and I think that's one of the reasons that I really like it. You know, as, as I get older, I appreciate all the brand-new rounds, particularly those that are introduced by by Hornady as a result of all their research, like the 6-millimeter PRC, the 6.5 Creedmoor, and, oh, my gosh, 300 PRC, which I do have in a, in a Ruger number 1 as well, too. I think one of two maybe that exist in the world. But... Uh, 
seven millimeter Mauser, seven by 57, 275 Rigby has, has long been a favorite of mine. And one of the things that uh, I'm really in looking at this year is using it a fair amount on some white-tailed deer and maybe a, a mule deer. And if things do open up and I happen to have a chance to go back to Spain, I'll probably take this one as opposed to the one that I took over last time to shoot a couple of... Uh, uh, I shot two roe deer with one and then also shot a couple of Spanish ibex with one as well too. So, But I'm really kind of looking forward to hunting with it here in the, in the States this year. That particular gun seems to really like the uh, 140 grain soft point interbond type bullets that, that Hornady has out. Uh, and again, both the, those stamped 275 Rigby or 7x57 or 7mm Mauser are interchangeable regardless of as long as you're shooting one of those three <laughs> three three same type of, of, of firearms kind of thing or, or same brown actually is what it is as we mentioned with it uh you need a good optic and and right now is a really good time to consider if you're going to change optics to do so and there's all kinds of good reasons to do so right now quite frankly back in january trijicon released Oh my gosh, numerous, numerous new scopes. But but one that they released is one they call the Huron, H-U-R-O-N. It's available in about three or four different configurations, meaning in terms of, of magnification. I've got two of them. I, I recently bought two of them, and one of them is a 3 by 9 by 40 that is a, a, a one-inch tube, and the other one is a 3 to 12 by 40 which has a 30-millimeter tube. And the advantage of the 30-millimeter tube, it actually allows a little bit more light transmission to it. The disadvantage is it's a little bit heavier just simply because there's more tube there. The, one of the things I really like about the 3 to 9 by 40 in the one-inch is it weighs less than a pound. It's like 15.8 ounces. So... That means that I can put that uh, that particular scope on a rifle that I may have to carry a whole lot, and I don't have to worry about the, the weight. With those particular scopes, they're using the exact same glass that they use for the higher-end optics that Trijicon makes. It costs uh, a fair amount more than what the Huron does. Now, the, the real-world price of the Huron is probably going to be in that neighborhood of about $500 when you find it at a, your local sporting good dealer. I think MSRP runs from 600 to 650 but usually the real-world prices are considerably less than that. So you can buy a really good, high-quality Trijicon glass scope that... Uh, for about $500 if you're looking for a new scope. And right now is the best time to do that. It's a second plane, uh, second focal plane scope. Uh, beyond that, it has what they call their BDC Hunter Hold Reticle. Uh, that means that basically with uh, what you sighted in at 100 yards, so that's dead on at 100 yards, and underneath that there are, there are three or four stadia wires, and that means simply just a little bar that runs across the, the vertical post going up and down to the center of the crosshairs. You sighted in at 100 yards, and if you're shooting something like the 7x57, the 308, 270, 280, 30-06, calibers and rounds in, in that category, 
then essentially, even though you want to do this on tar you want to do on targets once you get it, but essentially, sat it in at 100 yards, the first wire down, you'll be real close to being dead on at 200. The next wire down, you'll be very close to being dead on at 300. The next one down, very clear. Should be on at 400. And then if you'll use that post on the bottom side, the bottom post, where it comes to a point and hold that point where you want to, you should pretty well be on at 500. Now, I, I say should because each rifle is going to vary a little bit in terms of how it, how it shoots particular loads. And also, uh, depending upon the velocity, you may be shooting a, a, a round that has a little bit less velocity, and so that's going to determine where that bullet falls exactly when you hold it. Those hunter hold uh, that hunter hold reticle, but it's it's something to play with. And once you get out to the range, I think you're going to be extremely pleased with what you're seeing because uh, I've played around with these a little bit particularly with a, with a 280 Remington that I have and a, and a 270 and a 30-06 and once I sighted in at 100 yards there was no doubt that on a deer sized target out to 500 yards that bullet that I was shooting which was a variety of, of Hornady loads had uh, it was going to be within within the vital zone of, of a deer and basically to me that means about a six inch circle because it's a little bit larger than that but when you take into consideration the lungs and the heart if you can keep it in that six inch circle at those longer distances and again to me the goal of hunting is to get as close as i can uh to the point to where i'm concerned about even maybe spooking the animal because i'm getting too close but the the beauty of those longer range shots being available to you if you do hit one and he runs out there at 300 yards and and uh he stops or you got a shot at 300 or 500 you'll feel comfortable in taking it uh, and even though that said there have been times when I've shot a little bit longer range that, that animal that I'm after one whose antlers I greatly desire are because of the body size or the uniqueness possibly of a rack I want to have that ability to shoot out to those longer ranges just in case I, I can't get closer than that than what I am at the moment but uh, those BDC hunter hold reticles that they put into the uh, Trigicon scopes are extremely excellent to put it mildly uh you know you have to worry about uh wind direction a little bit too and there's some stadia wires on either side of, of the the center of the crosshair on that horizontal bar that runs left and right on both sides and uh reading the wind is something that most people never even think about but i can tell you i've hunted in situations where even the distance wasn't that great Wind drift comes into play, and what I would advise doing is if you can have the opportunity to do so is to spend some time on the range when it's extremely windy, particularly if there's a wind direction blowing from left to right or right to left. On your first shot at whatever distance that you're going to shoot at, hold so you're essentially trying to hit the center of the target, dead on. That will give you an idea as to what kind of actual wind drift you're getting. Uh, there are ways to determine, too, kind of what, not just the wind direction, which is obvious, but uh, also in terms of, uh, you know, how hard that wind is blowing. And, the, of course, the harder the wind blows, the, the more the bullet's going to drift either left or right, depending on wind direction. So get out there to the range when you have a chance. Sighted in on a day when there is very little wind or wind is in your face or directly at your back. 
then look for those days to go back out to learn about windage if you're going to shoot uh, or wind drift rather if you're going to be shooting out to uh, to uh, say 300 yards or you want to shoot out to 300 yards get an idea as to what kind of drift you're going to get with different kind of winds now one thing that uh, so many of the uh, Trigicon scopes have and, and this one does not the Huron does not have the the lit reticle which uh, like the AccuPoint does which is one of my favorite really all favorite all-time scopes as well too but kind of really gotten where i like the, these herons uh I've, I've played around with them in different light conditions meaning uh straight bright light to very early in the morning very late in the evening and kind of from dawn to dusk and and i've been very impressed that i can see the crosshairs even in a rather not so perfect light conditions that's a good thing. This I like the weight on them as well too, and I love the fact that uh, with with these they're virtually. We've we've talked a little bit about parallax in the past, and if not, we will in the future. But parallax is something you really don't have to worry about a whole lot at all until you cross that ten x ten magnification level. Once you cross into the, the 12, 14, 16, 18, and and even higher magnifications, that's where you need to be concerned about parallax. But up till about nine or ten. Most of the scopes like I use, I'm really not concerned about parallax. They're parallax adjusted coming out of the factory for the distances out to about 300. So nothing to be worried about there as far as parallax. So because of that, too, there's a little less weight. Uh, the scopes are not as bulky. And, of course, the scopes not having adjustable parallax are, are a little bit on the uh, uh, more less expensive side, if you will. 275 Rigby, I've got several hunts planned with it this year. And then there's another old cartridge that's been around for, oh my gosh, probably almost about the same length of time as the uh, the, the, the 275 Rigby, and that's the 6.5 by 55 Swedish. Now, over the years, I've shot a lot of different 6.5 rounds, including the 6.5 Remington mag of years ago the 264 winchester shot it a bunch years ago uh, shot it hunted a fair amount with a 6.5 creedmoor as well too and was always kind of fascinated with the uh, 6.5 by 55 swedish and had the opportunity not too long ago through ruger to acquire one of their african rifles uh they're M77 Africans, which is a blued steel, as you can imagine, with uh, a pretty nice piece of wood on it. And I've had the opportunity to just, uh, that's the one that I've mounted my 3 to 12 by 40, 30 millimeter, millimeter tube here uh, on scope on. And I've just now started shooting it. I'm, I'm using a variety of, of different ammo, but I'm, I'm finding that the, the one mine likes are those that are, that are really, I'll tell you what. I've learned a long time ago. I should have just started there to begin with, and uh, instead of trying to do some hand loads, I've tried several different Hornady bullets, but finally just decided to start using the uh, the ones I can buy across the counter uh, because I really don't have the time to hand load like I used to. And with the with the with what I'm shooting in the different uh, guns right now, it seems like those commercial loads by Hornady are. <laughs> I haven't been able to improve upon them when it comes down to, to even doing some hand loading. So that 6.5 by 55 is, is another one of those caliber rounds, if you will, that uh, I'm going to be trying to do a fair amount of hunting with. It, too, has been used for years in, in, in all over Europe and, and in different parts of the world. And uh, in, when I was in Sweden a few years ago, most everybody I ran into that was hunting reindeer and or, or, or coos, or 
excuse me, not coos deer, roe deer, or even uh, what they call algar, which is kind of like a small version of our moose, they were using a 6.5 by 55 Swedish and bringing those animals down as quickly, humanely, as if somebody had been shooting with a 300 or mag or something even a little bit larger. Now, that said, I will always tell you there's no such thing as, as being overgunned. I get tickled sometimes. I'll write about hunting with a 375 Ruger and on white-tailed deer or some other species, and they'll go, now, don't you feel a bit overgunned on that? And my answer is, nope, dead is dead, and that's my goal, to make that animal dead as quickly and humanely as I possibly can. Now, there are such things as being undergunned, and a lot of times that means just using a caliber that's a little bit small in terms of diameter, a bullet weight that's relatively low, that's of the design that does not penetrate deeply and uh, do a lot of tissue damage. So to me, as I mentioned earlier, I've gotten to where I really kind of like some of these older rounds a little bit. I may end up doing some hunting this year as well, too, with the with the 300 H&H mag. Now, that's that's one of the old original mags. It's a, a belted cartridge, and, and uh, it, it's just one of those old... Whole rounds. It's been around for a long, long time, and depending on where I hunt and from a nostalgic situation, kind of really uh, kind of adds to the hunt sometimes. Uh, I know the limitations of it. I know my limitations with it, and that's something you always want to do, regardless of whether you're shooting a bow, a muzzleloader, or air rifle, or air gun, or whatever they call them, and and a shotgun slug or. Uh, Whatever, modern rifle, you need to know what the capabilities of that firearm are with the loads that you're shooting at different ranges, but you also need to know your limitations with it. To me, any time when you're shooting out any kind of distance and that group expands to much beyond three inches, maybe four inches at the most, depending on if you're hunting elk, that's one thing. If you're hunting white-tailed deer and you can't keep that group within four inches, uh, to me, you need to change ammo, you need to look at your scope, need to change rifles, or you simply need to limit your shots to where a whole lot, you're shooting a whole lot closer compared to, to uh, <laughs> what you think you might want to shoot. Uh, all those things come into play, and to me, all those are something of of uh, getting ready for the hunting season. Now, one of these days, we'll talk a little bit about clothing and boots and all those kind of good things. I, I will tell you, and I may have told you this in the past, anytime I go in the field, the clothing I wear, I spray down with um, with Sawyer's Permanone. Uh, I found that it keeps the ticks off of me, the, the chiggers, or as we used to call them down south, the red bugs, and, and even to some extent, mosquitoes. It'll last, put it on your clothes, and let it dry and and hunt in it and then you can actually wash those clothes maybe up to about six times although usually at about four times I start trying to put some more permanent on them just to be on the safe side but that keeps the ticks off of you and you know these days with with we've talked about Lyme disease on our podcast in the past and even with the Lyme disease carried by the ticks it's pretty well found nationwide and I don't want to have to deal with Lyme disease if I don't have to and so when I'm out in the field I'm going to make every precaution or take every precaution to try to avoid being even crawled upon by a tick and the Sawyer's Permanone is, is certainly one of those ways of doing that. Now, a little bit about boots. I'll, I'll, to me, boots are a tool, just like 
anything that you shoot or that you carry, whether it's a bino or shooting stick. And to me, they're, they have to be comfortable. If, if boots aren't comfortable, then I don't want to wear them. I, I've gone through the thing of years ago of not being able to afford boots that really fit properly or not being able to find boots that fit properly. And there's nothing more uncomfortable whether you're walking or whether you're sitting and waiting for a deer or an animal to come by than to have your feet hurt. And uh, I just don't want to do that anymore. And one of the things I've learned in the last several years is is uh, started wearing Kinetrek. I used to kid Jim Winjum. He'd call me and he said, Larry, he said, when are you going to start wearing Kinetrek? I wear a size 13 wide. And I would respond almost exactly the same way every time. And I said, well, Mr. Jim, whenever you start building boots for men instead of just kids, they'd kind of snicker and smile a little bit. And Because uh, at that time, I think the, the, the largest size that they made were like size 12. Where one morning, about five, six, seven, eight years ago, whatever it's been now, I had a call from Mr. Jim. And he says, he said, okay, smart Alec. He said, I've got a pair of boots that I'm sending you. Uh, I want you to try them out. He said, they're size 13 wide you no longer have any excuse not to even try my boots so i put on that pair of uh, kinetrek boots and one of the things that amazed me about them right away is that usually i used to think you had to spend six months in a pair of boots to get them broken in and i found out with with uh, the kinetrek's that that i've been wearing and this is now several different pair although i still have the original pair and it looks almost as good as it did back then when i first got them and they're really tough but one of the things i learned about the kinetrek boots is there's really no breaking in period as far as i'm concerned now your feet may be a little bit differently and so if if you're one of those that feels like you need to break in a pair of boots over a six month period of wearing them a little bit wearing them a little bit and then all those kind of good things and by all means do it that way but i think once you put those kinder tracks on you're going to be totally surprised as to how comfortable they are and and uh and i've worn them in all kinds of situations i, I wear gaiters a lot i used to wear tall boots all the time because a lot of times I'm in snake country and, and not so much as snake country but also cactus and briars and things that are pulling at my lower legs and so I wear their Kinetrek uh, gaiters a lot now instead of the, the tall leather boots that I used to do but uh, I've worn those boots and everything from actually I wore several years ago when I first started wearing them I had a pair, those that I had were highly insulated and I really liked them so much. Tim Fallon and I and, and uh, decided we wanted to go hunt in Benin in April, where the air temperature is 120 during the daylight hours. It wore, it cools off to a balmy 100 degrees at night. And if you were to put a, a thermometer on the ground, and usually they were hunting where ears where they've just burned, so the ground is kind of blackish colored that ground temperature would be 150 to 160 degrees. Now, that's that's pretty darn hot when you think about it. And one of the things I learned there is by wearing the insulated boots, my feet did not get hot. And after that, I thought, you know, this is not a bad deal. I, I need to remember this, even if I'm hunting in Texas, where, too, our temperatures can get warm in some of the other places. But So over the years, I've, I've worn my Kinetrek insulated boots in areas where it was extremely hot. I've worn it where it was fairly cold and to me fairly cold would be right at that zero type of temperature but then i've also switched over to and hunting like in alberta and in december oh not in december but right up until december in late uh, november their season closes down the uh, 30th of, of november up until the last day wearing uh, kinetrek 
pack boots that they have available. So uh, found those to be extremely comfortable. One of the things I learned there is to buy them a little bit larger in size than I would normally possibly wear because there I'm sitting, spending a lot of time sitting, not a whole lot of time walking. And by allowing my having my toes and my feet not being cramped by the boots uh, with those little bit larger size, uh, it doesn't cut down on uh, circulation like it might would if I were say I wear a 13 wide and what I try to do in those situations wear a size 14 and that allows me to wiggle my toes a little bit more I've got more room and my feet are not as cramped and as a result of that the circulation continues in my feet throughout the day and it actually keeps my feet a whole lot warmer doing it that way as well too so something to consider if you're going to be hunting in some really cold country particularly if you might be in a situation where you're going to spend a lot of time in a blind they're uh, waiting for a big old whitetail buck to come by like I have when I've hunted up there with Ron Nemechek with North River Outfitting, which incidentally I was able to take a monster buck last year on the very last few moments, last moments of the, of the last day of the season and, and uh, trying to get up there this year. And if I don't get up there this year, I'm going to try to get back up next year because of the fact that, among other things, I love hunting that kind of situation. Secondly, the last couple of times I've been up there, I've never in my life seen as many young deer. And I'm talking about fawns and year-and-a-half-old deer. The buck that I shot that will go Boone and Crockett is a non-typical this past November uh, was a three-year-old. And each year, we've got the next several years of looking forward to a substantial crop of, of three-year-old and older bucks up there, and particularly in that area of Alberta that, that Ron uh, hunts. So uh, North River Outfitting, if you're looking for a really great place to go hunting white-tailed deer in, in, a, in a situation where you will truly, truly have the opportunity and chance, or chance and opportunity to uh, to take a Boone and Crockett whitetail, if that, that's something that you're looking forward to. And, uh, I, I wish I could have brought the meat back from the bucket I did. We ate a little bit before I left, and oh my God, was it good. So uh, not a bad place to go hunt, and then if there's a way to bring the meat back, uh, being able to do that as well, too. But preparation involves so many different things. Get in touch with the places that you're going to hunt right now. Find out what kind of rainfall levels they've had. Find out what kind of fawn survival rates they have, because the fawn survival rates is something we often overlook. Rainfall is something we overlook a lot of times. Rainfall produces forage, which produces feed, which produces good bodies, healthy bodies, and big antlers. Fawn survival is also influenced in a lot of areas because of the moisture that falls, because of the, the food supply, and because of the ground cover so that the coyotes, the bobcats, can't as readily see them when they're laying on the ground. Two, what I do when I'm in trying to get figure out exactly where I'm going to hunt, and I'm going to hunt with, uh, with, with some people, and I'll visit more about that next, next time we meet about hunting in Missouri, but... Uh, I'm going to, with Darren Bradley, uh, and I am going to be hunting with him this year. And one of the things I did prior to committing to that hunt was to get in touch with the game department in, on a local basis in the areas that we're going to be hunting in Missouri to find out what kind of fawn survival rate they had. And looking back at three, four, five years ago, they had pretty darn good fawn survival rate, which tells me that if they weren't over-harvested, and we're going to be hunting one of Darren's private uh, properties, so he's limited the hunting on those to get the keep bucks into those older 
populations. Also tells me that not a whole lot of the yearlings were taken, thus allowing for yearlings to go into two-year-old age class and three-year-old age class, four-year-old age class, and and up there in the, the northern part of the country, if you live up there, most deer mature body-wise at three. Down south here, where I live in Texas, they mature at four. So I'm I want to hunt those places where I've got at least a substantial number, or at least several, if you will, four and a half year old deer or older in deep part of the south part of the, the U.S. and then three of those that are three and a half years older are older rather in the old in the uh, the northern part because those are the ones their bodies are mature and then anything that's not required for maintenance once their bodies are mature can be channeled into antler development so i love hunting big bucks i love big antlers i love eating big big deer as well too uh to me a lot of times those bigger bucks are bigger bodied and that just provides that much more food for my family and some friends of mine getting ready again so many different things get mentally prepared get physically prepared make sure that your equipment is working exactly like you're wanting it to and make certain too that uh, you're capable of, of taking that firearm that bow that whatever it is to the level in terms of accuracy of what it, it is truly capable of know your capabilities <clears throat> know your your guns your bows whatever capabilities as well Talked in circles a little bit this time about getting ready and, and a bunch of other things, but that's all part of the, the fun to me of, of being a, a hunter is the, the preparation that goes into it, the time spent with with friends and, and friends that I haven't made yet trying to learn as much as I can about different properties that I'm going to be hunting, different places, and about the deer herd in that area, trying to find out what the, the primary food species are maybe in the fall and uh you know if you find out if what kind of acorn crop they have and and uh, all those other kind of things you're going to hunting where there are acorns if you're hunting like i used to do in parts of uh Kentucky in the western part of Kentucky one of the things I really looked for was uh, this time of the year is, is I'd find out how good the persimmon crop was because that persimmon crop was going to probably be falling about the right time of the beginning of the hunting season and, and I've never been anywhere where deer do not just absolutely love persimmons uh, include well including that or foxes and coons and coyotes and I wouldn't be surprised no bobcat wouldn't eat meat a persimmon every once in a while just kind of a dessert kind of thing if nothing else but uh, start getting ready if you're not already there and uh, keep getting ready throughout the rest of the year and if you get a chance, as I mentioned earlier, please uh, have a look at the DSC's website, which is biggame, B-I-G-G-A-M-E dot O-R-G, or the DSC Foundation, which is DSCF dot O-R-G, and learn a little bit about Hunter's Care and, and some of the many things that we do through the foundation, some of the grants that we've issued in the past, and uh Great opportunity there to contribute a little money and, and to do something that's truly worthwhile for wildlife and hunting into the future. Look forward to catching up with you next week. Uh, until then, y'all have a great time. Take care of yourselves. Get started practicing a little bit with that firearm, bow, air gun, muzzleloader, shotgun, whatever you're hunting with this fall. DSC's Untamed Heritage is brought to you by Dallas Safari Club. Conservation, education, protecting hunters' rights. Ruger. Rugged, reliable firearms. Hornady, accurate, deadly, dependable. Trigicon, brilliant aiming solutions. Burnham Brothers Game Calls, callness calls made. Texas Wildlife Association, working for tomorrow's wildlife today. Texas raised hunting products, the scent gods. www.trailingthehuntersmoon.com, the Hunter Conservations' website. 